you would remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning. Uh, This is our last week in the Pentateuch as we've been doing this overview of the first five books of the Bible. And so we have landed now in Deuteronomy, and we'll be looking at a very famous passage here in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Uh, The verses are also printed in your bulletin. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from the face of the earth. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. You may be seated. And if you would, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. As we begin this morning, I need to see a show of hands. I ask for a little participation this morning. So, who remembers exactly where they were September 11, 2001? Who remembers? I do, very vividly. 
I was at Kelvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I was a, a junior, and I'd just gotten out of Greek class. Greek met every day. Uh, it was rough. Uh, and I was heading to the chapel, and things were just not right. Um, something was going on, and I, I didn't know what it was. Um, a couple of good friends of mine, Jared and Mattia, uh, came up to me and said, did you hear what happened? I had no idea, and um, they explained to me what was going on, and we found televisions, and we, we saw the news coverage, and, um, and uh, that was just a moment that I will never forget. So, of those of you who raised your hands, um, let's go back a little further. I cannot remember this because I was not born, but several people were. Who remembers the day that JFK was shot? Who remembers where they were at that time? I'm sure that was similar to 9-11. It's a moment that you just won't forget. Uh, let's go back even further. <laughs> the day that will live in infamy. I'm not talking about Bob Beatty's birthday, even though it's the same day. I'm talking about Pearl Harbor. Who remembers Pearl Harbor? Anybody? Bob does. Bob and Patsy. Yeah, I'm sure that's another day that you just will not forget um, because of the events that occurred. You know, as time goes by, the inevitable happens. We forget, partly because we weren't there to experience it. Uh, we weren't there uh, at the moment. Uh, and we preserve these events that happened in history books, and we tell the stories. But they don't become as meaningful to us because we weren't there. But we pass them on from generation to generation. Uh, our kids are learning the timeline of history. And it's really interesting to see you know, what God has done throughout history. But when we get to that point where we, um, we talk about things that happened in my lifetime, it just takes on a different meaning. It, it has this, this, uh, this special reaction inside of me um, because I remember it. Um, not necessarily because I was there, uh, but because it happened um, in my memory. This is similar to what is going on here in Deuteronomy. Uh, Moses is retelling stories here for the people of Israel. And he, what he is calling them to is to remember. In fact, what he says is, do not forget. So as we've gone through the Pentateuch uh, over the last uh, month or so, uh, we've been looking at God's story and what he has done through his people uh, since creation and to the point where they're about to enter into the promised land. And what Moses does here in Deuteronomy is he gives three addresses, basically, to the, to the people of Israel. They have uh, left Egypt, they have spent 40 years wandering in the desert, and they have gotten to the plains of Moab. They are on the east side of the Jordan, and if you know your geography of the Middle East, uh, the fact that they have ended up on the east side of the Jordan makes no sense, because the easiest way from Egypt to Israel is straight northeast. They wouldn't even have to deal with the Jordan River. Um, but this is the direction that God brought them. So they are about to cross over the Jordan River. Uh, the first place that they will be is Jericho, and they are about to conquer the Promised Land. The first generation of people has died out. They have all fallen in the wilderness, and their sons and their daughters are now ready. They are primed to conquer the Promised Land. But before they do, and before Moses passes on, he gives them these addresses. He speaks to them in the book of Deuteronomy. 
And he tells them to remember, to do not forget. What he does is he renews the relationship with the people of God and with the Lord. Since God's people who had left Egypt and the ones who had been at Mount Sinai had all died, and that is except for two, Joshua and Caleb, the next generation of God's people needed to be reminded, needed to be reminded of the relationship they had with God, needed to be reminded of his covenant. That is why we see a repetition of so many things in Deuteronomy, including in Deuteronomy 5, we see a repetition of the Ten Commandments. Many other laws are also repeated in this book. In fact, Deuteronomy is, is called Second Law, Deuteronomy. The theme of the Pentateuch that we've been seeing is God's covenant relationship with his people. God, who is our king, has entered into this relationship with his people by making a covenant with them. And if his people will keep his covenant, then they will be blessed. If they do not keep his covenant, they will be cursed or there will be covenant punishment for that. And so this new generation of God's people needed to be reminded, first of all, that their parents did not keep the covenant. One of the reasons why the, the sons and the daughters were entering into the promised land and their parents were not was because they did not keep the covenant. They didn't make it to the promised land. But God shows his mercy and his judgment. As you know, Moses wasn't able to enter into the promised land. God did allow him, however, to see the land before he died. And we read of Moses' death here at the end of Deuteronomy in chapter 34. So God took Moses to the top of Mount Nebo so that he could see the promised land, could see the glory of it, see this land flowing with milk and honey where God was going to be taking his people. And then God called Moses to himself. And after Moses' death, Joshua carries the mantle of leadership in Israel. Uh, this mediator of the covenant that Moses has been now passes on to Joshua. And he is the one who's going to lead the people into the promised land. This morning we read Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, especially verses 4 through 6, has a special name. It's called the Shema, which in Hebrew means hear, because that's how it starts. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the passage that Jesus quotes from the New Testament when he is asked, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And he says, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like, like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we look at the book of Deuteronomy this morning, we're going we're gonna to see a couple of themes that come out here. One is that God's covenant, as Moses is speaking to the people now, these sons and daughters of the people who were at Mount Sinai, the theme is that the covenant that God has made with your parents is the covenant for you as well. The covenant relationship wasn't just for previous generations. This is for you as well. In fact, it's going to be for you, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren, from generation to generation. This covenant that God makes with his people will be passed down. And so what Moses does is that he renews the covenant with these people. 
It is not unlike what we do every single Sunday. You know, the worship that we engage in is like a covenant renewal ceremony. It's why our worship is liturgical, is why we have our confession of sin and our assurance of pardon, because we are renewing our relationship with God on a weekly basis. Um, one of the, the sources or uh, resources that, that we use to plan some of our worship is called the, the Worship Source Book. And this is a, a quote from that book. It says, Christian worship should be covenantal. In worship, God's gracious and new covenant with us in Christ is renewed, affirmed, and sealed. The relationship that God welcomes us into is not a contractual relationship of obligations, but a promise based on covenant relationship of self-giving love. It's more like a marriage than a legal contract. Worship rehearses God's promises to us and allows for us to recommit ourselves to this covenantal relationship. In a sense, we can think of worship when we gather together on a Sunday morning as like a husband and a wife who are uh, recommitting themselves, who are redoing their vows. Um, this is what we are doing with God on a weekly basis. We're recommitting ourselves to Him. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. And Moses tells the people that this covenant is for you, and it needs to be renewed, not only here, but also in the promised land, and on a weekly basis to remember the covenant. And he says, he goes on to say that when you receive blessings from the Lord, he says, don't forget to remember. Do not forget to remember the Lord your God. You know, when I first learned to drive, I was hyper-vigilant. I don't know if, if many of you were like me, but uh, I was nervous at first. You get a vehicle. Uh, what my parents had for me to drive was uh, this old, uh, it was a Buick, uh, no, it was an Oldsmobile. It was an Oldsmobile Delta 88. It was brown. <laughs> it was, uh, it had some power. It had a V6 in it. But, um, but uh, it was not, it was not the coolest car. There was a, a friend of mine whose dad had a car dealership who drove a Camaro, and that was just amazing. But I had an Oldsmobile. Um, and um, I remember when I first learned to drive, I was hypervigilant. I wanted to, because uh, it was nerve-wracking. I have this, this vehicle that I'm in control of, and there's lots of other people out on the road. So I would drive at 10 and 2, you know, always checking my blind spots, making sure that I uh, was driving properly. Um, if you would notice how I drive now, I rarely, if ever, drive a tenant to. Um, yes, I do still check my blind spots and things like that. Um, but, but it's different now. Um, when I would start a new semester at school, I would always have these grand plans. Okay, I get the syllabus and I see all the assignments that it was required. I see I've got a, a research paper that I've got to do. I'm going to get everything in early. And it, this is going to be the best semester I've ever had. But without an, you know, it would inevitably be, you know, the night before the term paper is due, I'm still working on it, trying to get it in, still doing maybe a little research. Um, uh, but I would always start off with these grand plans. Um, this is kind of similar to the Israelites when they would enter into the promised land. They were about to receive blessings beyond comparison. 
And Moses knew what was going to happen, though. They were going to start off being vigilant, but then they were going to forget. And Moses was absolutely right. You know, they didn't even finish conquering the promised land before they started to forget. They weren't even able to drive out all the people in the land. If you read through the book of Judges, you see how they forgot the Lord over and over and over again. Uh, Even when they get to the point where God gives them their long-awaited king, and they have David and Solomon ruling over them, they returned to forgetting the Lord. Time and time again, Israel forgot the Lord, they worshipped other gods, and so what did God do? And first, he split the nation in two between Israel and Judah. And then he sent them both into exile. So do we have anything in common with the Israelites? That's a rhetorical question. Of course we do. Uh, We have a lot in common with them. Let's face it, we have become complacent as a people. You know, if we look at our nation right now, it is obvious that we have become complacent as a nation. Uh, This past week uh, with our children, we watched the movie National Treasure, and it just reminded me of some of those those times back in our nation's history, you know, during the revolution, where they were, um, we just had this sense of uh, of upholding God's word and this desire to create a nation of of freedoms, and now over 200 years later, uh, we've become complacent as a people. Honestly, I am very concerned about our nation. I am very concerned about it. But what I'm more concerned actually is over is the church. You know, the U.S. as we know it may at some point cease to exist. Uh, That may be hard for us to imagine. Uh, But we know that one thing will never cease to exist, and that is the church. God said that the church would continue uh, until Christ comes again. I think it's important for us uh, to fight for legislation and to be concerned about our nation. We need to be concerned with uh, the rights of the unborn, for example. But what about our church here? What would happen if all the churches in Little Rock suddenly ceased to exist? Would there be any impact on Little Rock if suddenly the churches ceased to exist? Uh, Would there be any impact here in Sherwood if suddenly Trinity was no more. Would anyone notice? Would anyone care? Are we salt and light in the world? And I'm talking about the church universal and us as well. Are we salt and light or have we become complacent? Have we forgotten God and his calling in our lives? Have we forgotten? You know, Steve and Kelly mentioned the fact that they are translating the scripture into all these different languages. And how exciting it is for a people group to receive God's word in their own language for the very first time. I think back to the Reformation and how one of the the main things of the Reformation was getting God's word into the hands of the people in a language that they could understand. That it wasn't any longer just the priests who had control over it, but that the people could actually read it. And now here we are 500 years later. Do we have the same enthusiasm for God's word? Or have we forgotten what we have? It's easy for us to forget because of what we have. 
The Israelites walked into a situation of immense affluence from wandering in the desert to suddenly having their own country, their own houses, uh, cisterns, uh, vineyards, a land flowing with milk and honey. The same is true with us. You know, it's not like we actively say in our minds, you know, forget God. All that I have is, I have all that I need. I don't need him anymore. What happens is that we forget to remember. We forget to remember God and what he has done. The things in our lives, which are not bad in and of themselves, can easily cause us to forget God. The, the busyness, the frantic pace with which we live doesn't even allow room for us to stop and consider what God has done, consider what God is calling us to. You know, in a sense, we don't even have the time to remember, to look back. So what has God given us so that we can be reminded, so that we would not forget? Well, he's given us weekly worship. We've already talked about that, the covenant renewal He gave us communion, which we celebrated last week, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, to call to remembrance what God has done through Christ. And in our passage this morning, we are called to pass it on to the next generation. One of the greatest ways for us to be reminded of what God has done is to tell the next generation the stories of what God has done in our lives. You know, in Deuteronomy 6, it says, talk about it wherever you go, when you lie down and when you get up, when you walk along the road. Put it on the doorposts of your houses. Tell the next generation the mighty deeds of the Lord, because in doing that, we're reminded ourselves of what the Lord has done. You know, in our family, we like to share some of the stories of what God has done in our lives. Uh, And I'm looking forward to sharing on a deeper level how God has worked in my life, and sharing that with my children, and telling them the the circumstances of God's sovereignty that led led a a boy from Chicago and a girl from from Georgia and Tennessee to somehow meet in Orlando and uh, and get married, Uh, to tell them the, the wonderful stories of their birth and how amazing that was of going to China and seeing God's hand uh, in, uh, in getting Maddie Grace. Uh, I remember sitting in church at one of my lowest points. Um, I thought I had my life figured out. I thought I knew the person who uh, I was going to marry, and God wiped everything away from me. And I remember sitting there and hearing the song, In Christ, the song In Christ Alone. And just finding great comfort in that song. And then, uh, about a year later, just seeing how God works and knowing that that was going to be the song that Stephanie and I would have sung at our wedding. I remember the time when I was in Kenya, just seemingly all alone, and God showed up in just a mighty and in a powerful way, showing that he cared for me and showed me that I am never alone I remember the, the time that I spent in Israel and feeling God's presence in Jerusalem, sitting there and reading Psalm 121, where David says, I lift up my eyes to the hills and looking at those very hills that David was talking about and just feeling God's, God's immense presence there. 
I remember a friend of mine in college whose name was also Mike, who died very suddenly and wrestling with the question of why and having God reveal his peace and his comfort to me, that he is working out all things. I remember a mission trip to, uh, to Cary, Mississippi, when I was a sophomore in high school, and God first revealed himself to me. He became real in my life. What do you remember? What are the stories that God has, has woven in your lives? What stories can you tell of God's presence and of his action? What has he done? I challenge you to remember, to tell the next generation, whether it's your own children, whether it's my children, uh, tell what God has done so that we will not forget the Lord. When we remember what God has done, we renew our relationship with him and we remember our calling. You know, we may forget God and we may forget our covenant obligations, but God never forgets his covenant. God has to tell his people not to forget, but he doesn't have to remind himself. He doesn't need these divine post-it notes. Remember the covenant with my people. God never forgets his covenant, and what God promises, he will do. God made these covenant promises to Abraham and to his people. He told Abraham that he would become a great nation, and we've seen that as we've gone through the Pentateuch. There were 70 people that went into Egypt. Abraham was one man. He had one son that became the 12 tribes, and coming out of Egypt, there was over a million Going into the promised land, they were a great nation. God had kept his promise. He told Abraham that he would give him the land. And here they are on the cusp of entering into this promised land. And under the leader of jo leadership of Joshua, they would enter the land and take it for their own. He told Abraham that all nations on earth would be blessed through him. And we see that in the nation of Israel under the great kings of David and Solomon. And you know what? God is keeping his covenant promises with us today. All these blessings of the covenant were pointing to a greater reality that is fulfilled in Christ. In the end, this is the image of God's people. And Steve already mentioned it this morning, and I'm going to reiterate it. This is what it's going to look like in the end, in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. Where John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God keeps His covenant. In the end, the whole world will be the promised land. Later on in Revelation chapter 21, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
prepared as a bride, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. God keeps his covenant. And in the end, all nations and all people will be blessed. Romans 8, verses 1 through 4. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So God, through Christ, fulfilled all the requirements of the law that we could not fulfill. God, through Christ, took on the curses of the covenant and the punishment for sin, and he nailed them to the cross putting them to death forever and ever. And now those who were once far off from God, us, we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We who were once alienated from God, now are in, have been adopted into his family, not by anything that we have done, but through the sovereign mercy of our covenant-keeping God. God always keeps his covenant. So as we conclude this morning, the call that Moses has to the people of Israel is our call. Do not forget. Don't forget that God, your king, has made you and he has entered into a covenant relationship with you. Don't forget that Jesus has fulfilled the covenant on our behalf. Do not forget that God always keeps his covenant promises. So be free. Be free to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And be free to love your neighbor as yourself. And let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, you are a covenant-keeping God. And even when we fail, Lord, you do not. When we forget, you do not. In fact, you will remember your covenant forever. And we look forward to the day when your covenant will be ultimately fulfilled. When your son will come back and he will enter, uh, usher in his kingdom that will, and he will rule and reign forever and ever. Lord, we long for that day and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.